The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home, and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating, mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a Realtor can make understanding that world easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. That's the kind of help we can provide. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Previously on All American. They're going to go nuts when he hits this thing. There's his mom and dad. Earl was the dominant personality in the room, even when Tiger was there. Tina was initially quiet. I think Tiger took after her more. I just know one thing, I'm gonna celebrate like hell tonight. The holy grail in golf is the Grand Slam. It means winning all four major tournaments in the same year. No one in modern golf has ever pulled it off. But Tiger Woods, he got closer than anyone else in modern history. In 2000, he won the season's final three major tournaments right in a row. The next major, the Masters, would be in 2001, a new calendar year. If Tiger won that, it wouldn't technically be a Grand Slam, but it would be unprecedented. streak that started at Pebble Beach. What a place to start some kind of new configuration of a slam started. That's CBS broadcaster Jim Nance calling the final 18th hole of the tournament's final day. Tiger had a one-shot lead. He lined up for a difficult 18-foot birdie, and the crowd held its breath. There it is, as grand as it gets. What a way to cap it off. Perfect speed, perfect line. And Tiger has his slam. Something I never dreamt that I would ever see or ever thought that anyone could ever do. I think it's the greatest feat I've ever known in all of sports. Tiger's 2001 Masters win. It made history. His streak became known as the Tiger Slam. For Tiger, the hardware was piling up. Just months before the Tiger Slam, Sports Illustrated named Tiger their Sportsman of the Year again. The piece was written by legendary sports writer Frank DeFord. He'd written for SI on and off for nearly 60 years. DeFord was also a regular commentator on NPR. And shortly after Tiger Slam, DeFord was on Morning Edition. He offered up some cheeky solutions for sports writers who might have run out of ways to describe Tiger's golf game. 
Hello, and welcome to the Tiger Woods Fabulous Magnificent Excellence line. Listen to the options because the menu changes every time Tiger does something even more extraordinary. And remember, at any time, you can press zero and talk to a Tiger worshiper who will excite you by whispering sweet nothings about Tiger in your ear. Now, for Tiger Woods statistics as the greatest player ever, press one. For Tiger Woods historical appreciation, press two. Let's see here. How about two? Hello, and welcome to the Tiger Woods Historical Appreciation. For Tiger Woods' favorable comparison with Michael Jordan, press 1. For Tiger Woods' favorable comparison with all other athletes with endorsement contracts, press 2. For Tiger Woods' favorable comparison with all other achievers in the history of humankind, press 3. Okay, 3. For Tiger Woods' favorable comparison with William Shakespeare, press 1. For Tiger Woods' favorable comparison with Thomas Edison, press 2. The hotline even polls callers as to which prize Tiger should win in 2001, the Nobel Prize for Chemistry or the Country Music Association Award for Album of the Year. Thank you. Your vote has been registered. This hotline was certainly a joke, but the sentiment around Tiger? That was real. He was the best golfer in the world. And... He was still just 25, which is young for the sport. He was making it all look so easy. I'm Jordan Bell, and this is All American from Stitcher. Season one, Tiger. Episode five, The Greatest. Hey, Albert. Hey, Jordan. So in the timeline of Tiger Woods, we are out of the 90s. We're in the age of Razor Scooters and Sex in the City, (laughs) a new millennium. (laughs) We are. And Y2K Tiger Woods, he was winning so much that, you know, golf nerds, (laughs) they point to Tiger's winning streak at this point as the greatest stretch ever by any golfer. Yeah. And the only other athlete really the only other person in the world at the time who could really understand being that on top of your game was the other Jordan. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Michael Jordan. (laughs) But you're totally right. The similarities between the greatest of all time, the GOAT of the NBA, and Tiger, they were actually much deeper than the fact that they're both Nike guys. Oh, yeah. And it turns out Tiger's connection with MJ It can tell us a lot about how Tiger was so consistently on top of his game during this time, as locked in as any athlete ever. That's what we're going to talk about today. MJ and a couple of other very influential figures in Tiger's life. His parents. We'll hear how they all helped Tiger navigate life at the top. All right. So Tiger Woods, like every other kid growing up in the 80s and 90s, he completely idolized Michael Jordan. And as he dominated on the golf course, Tiger actually got the chance to meet MJ. Turns out they had a lot in common. Um, I know I hate to lose. And I know he (laughs) feels the same way. This is Tiger speaking to Ahmad Rashad at an NBA halftime interview in 1997 just after Tiger's first Masters win. There's, a, there's some sort of a common bond between you and Mike. You hit it off just perfect. Yeah, Mike, Mike and I have, you know, I think we understand each other because we both play the game at, 
at a very high level in, mentally, I think. Um, granted, I think both of us are very lucky. We've been given some gifts from the guy upstairs. But I think that a lot of what we can do on the court or on the course comes from our mind, our, our, our will to win. And I think that's where we see eye to eye. Only a few years later, Tiger gets to a point where he and Michael Jordan are pretty much on the same level of celebrity. Yeah, not only that, but their bond over being the best, it leads to a real friendship. Here's a 2007 news segment from a local station in Charlotte, North Carolina, where Tiger and Michael are playing in an exhibition golf event together. I mean, we've, uh, he's been like my big brother, so um, it's been been great to, to have him, you know, a part of my life. But, uh, we, I mean, we had a great time today, and um, we always have a great time. Wow. I certainly don't have this equivalent, but I feel like this is what it'd be like if you're a musician and you idolize another musician your whole life, and then you become famous also, and then all of a sudden you're <laughs> playing on stage together. Right, exactly. They could understand and respect what the other was going through. Here's Michael later in that same segment. I think it's tough for him. You know, because uh, he's individual. He's playing against so many different opponents. And in my game, if I have a bad day, I got somebody else can cover for me. You know, he has his caddy, and sometimes the caddy gets the worst of it. But for the most part, he does it himself. And that's truly amazing for what he does. We have fun, you know, and, and rarely do we have that type of friendship amongst you know, competitors. And it's, it's fun to be around. Whether it's, you know, playing golf or playing cards or, you know, just hanging out, whatever it is, um, we're always having a great time, always needling each other because uh, we always want to one-up one another. And that's, that's the nature of how we are, and that's, I think that's also one of the reasons why we've uh, been able to uh, accomplish things that we've been able to accomplish. It's so interesting to hear Tiger say, that's the nature of how we are, like they're twins or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like soulmates. Yeah. <laughs> and what's striking also is that Jordan, as a player, he was like, mean and cocky and arrogant and had such insanely high standards for himself and his teammates. And nothing pissed him off more than anyone daring to suggest that someone is on the same level as him. (laughs) That's what kind of drove him. Mm -hmm. But with Tiger, MJ, he, he was happy to kind of pass the torch to this kindred spirit who, in his eyes, had reached his level. Everybody was looking for the next Michael, said Chairman Phil Knight, and they were always looking on the basketball court. He was walking down the fairway. This is Scott Price. His pen name is S.L. Price. And he's reading from a 2000 Sports Illustrated cover story he wrote on Tiger. Not since Mike Tyson rampaged across the go-go 1980s has a sports figure so perfectly reflected an era. In Woods, America at the Millennium has found its embodiment. And Albert, you know Scott. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do know Scott. We we work together at Sports Illustrated. He's written a bunch of books on everything from baseball in Cuba to high school football in Western Pennsylvania. For SI, he profiled the biggest sports stars. And in 2000, Scott, he checked in with Tiger Woods. Yeah, and this time around, the cover of this magazine was a picture of Tiger dressed in an all-black suit. He's sitting casually outside in a red Adirondack chair, and the text of the cover reads, Tiger Rules. Well, well, first of all, it's a, it's a direct ripoff of, of a very famous book called The Jordan Rules. 
The Jordan Rules was published in the early 90s, and it was a super revealing book written by Chicago basketball writer Sam Smith. It wasn't an altogether flattering portrait of Michael Jordan. The Jordan Rules were were essentially that the you know, the idea that the rules were different for Michael and how you defended him, but also how he sort of made his way through the NBA. And, and basically, what they are is 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 superstar rules. Yeah. Well, well, Tiger Rules was 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 pretty simple. I mean, he was treated differently than everybody else. There was there was. I mean, golf is a it, obviously everyone can can understand this. In fact, it's part of its appeal and part of what people loathe about golf is that it's a tradition laden game full of arcane rules. And you know, he he had security, an amount of security around him that no other uh, golfer did by far. Um, there was a feeling that they, uh, you know, were, were they doing things extra for Tiger and doing things that he didn't do for other players? So he was changing the game in, in a way that nobody else was, both on and off the course. Okay, so let's talk about that kind of special treatment Tiger is receiving. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was a lot of little things. First of all, unlike everyone else, Tiger committed to smaller non-major golf tournaments at the very last minute, which just <laughs> made it hard for tournament organizers to plan and advertise and say, hey, Tiger's going to be here, which was a big deal because as far as TV ratings go, Tiger tournaments drew like 40% higher ratings at the time. So it made things really difficult for organizers. Plus, there was the media frenzy around Tiger, which was way beyond what the golf world was used to. But Scott, he had the advantage of not being on the golf beat. He could take a different, more critical look at Tiger. I wasn't interested in myth-making. I wasn't interested in, in hagiography or, or just saying how he was doing in tournaments. I wanted to understand how Tiger was as a guy. Scott tried to get as much time as possible for an interview with Tiger. After a lot of negotiation... He got about 20 minutes with Tiger and his handlers in a conference room. That doesn't sound that bad, considering Tiger's distaste for the media at this point. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's fair. And in this story, Scott has a great line describing what it was like spending time with Tiger in this super controlled environment. He said it was like walking into a bank vault. He wrote, It's shiny and cool and quiet, but after a while you realize there's no place to sit. Soon you find yourself edging toward the door, and he doesn't contest that move for a second. There was no sort of give and take. It wasn't a conversation. With Tiger, you felt right from the start that it was going to be uh, a very cool exercise. One of the tells that, you, that the interview is going well is when the interviewee asks you a question. And the only time that ever happened to that interview was when I mentioned Nicholas saying something about, uh, about Tiger. So this Nicholas Scott is talking about is Jack Nicholas, who up until Tiger was the dominant figure in golf. And Tiger was totally obsessed with breaking his record. Right. So Nicholas is from a different generation of golfers, but he holds the record for winning the most major tournaments, a total of 18 career titles. Wow. And at this point, Tiger had eight? Right? Yeah, but he was only five years into his pro career. So if he kept up that pace, well, he would absolutely shatter Nicholas's record. So as soon as I mentioned that I had talked to Jack about him, 
he was incredibly interested in what Jack had to say. And then he kept coming back to, well, what did Jack say? And that was really the only time where I felt I, uh, any kind of breakthrough. And that certainly had nothing to do with me or my incredibly penetrating questions. <laughs> it, it had to do with, with Tiger's obsession with Jack. And when it was over, there was no, <laughs> hey, why don't you stick around for 10 more minutes and let's finish these thoughts. It was, a, uh, here's your hat, what's your hurry? Ah, Tiger, why so chilly? <laughs> Give Scott a chance. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's nothing Scott isn't used to. He's covered more than his fair share of prominent athletes who, you know, weren't exactly open books when it came to the media. One of those athletes he was familiar with was actually Michael Jordan. And he noticed that Tiger and Michael, they had something important in common. <laughs> They're both ruthless. I covered Michael Jordan as a sophomore, his breakout season in college. I was a year or two ahead of him at North, at University of North Carolina. I was sports editor of the uh, Daily Tar Heel. I thought that Jordan had a had a better ability of laughing at himself, and and there was a certain desperation to him, born out of weird, weirdly enough, out of humility. I mean, he 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 was. He he wanted to dominate people because he really had a chip on his shoulder and he wasn't raised to feel he was going to be the greatest. Um, and so there was a certain self-deprecation to Jordan, certainly early on, um, and, and self-understanding um, and drive. Um, Tiger came at it from a much more anointed place. And I don't mean um, he had it easy – he just was psychologically told from the start that he was going to be great, and and he he lived up to it, which certainly um, takes an astounding amount of fortitude and 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 mental toughness. But they came at um, their ruthlessness from two different places to me. I mean, it, it's it's kind of remarkable because you know most sports are man versus man, woman versus woman, competitor versus competitor. But golf is man versus nature, and the idea is that nature always wins. Like it's man versus tree, and eventually the tree is going to win because it, it's going to blow the, – the golfer's body is going to break down, his brain or his, his psyche is going to break down. Tiger, you can argue that he's the closest anyone has come uh, to beating nature, to winning that battle. Uh, as a golfer. And um, his own limitations eventually got to him, but nobody dominated a golf course like Tiger. No one dominated a season or a stretch like he did in, you know, 1999, 2000, 2001. It, it was mind-blowing. And as a result, uh, the money followed. And when the money follows, um, the rules uh, are made for whomever is carrying those bags of money. Tiger was now living in a stratosphere of stars. And what I think is important to note is that the thing about Tiger, by all accounts, is he didn't have very many close friends growing up. No, he didn't. And, you know, he grew up as an only child. And with all his focus on golf from a really early age, he lived in a pretty small world, I think, that that it seemed like it could be pretty isolating. And... Michael Jordan, it sounds like he just kind of felt for Tiger. Yeah. And Jordan once said when talking about Tiger, quote, his first instinct at being in the spotlight was to become a recluse. 
Well, that's wrong. Believe me, I know. You can't just go to the golf course and when you're done, go back and lock yourself in your hotel room. I've been there. It's miserable. You're not living life. Aw. <laughs> so Jordan was going to show Tiger how to enjoy life. And as they became friends, Michael started bringing Tiger along for his nights out. It wasn't uncommon to see Tiger at a Bulls game or leaving the basketball arena with Michael and his Porsche or at the casino. <laughs> wow, that sentence just gets more and more exciting. <laughs> that is incredible. <laughs> and there was a third guy they started hanging out with, and that was Charles Barkley. Oh and God. these three, they just bonded over gambling. <laughs> wow, it sounds like you'd really get along with it. <laughs> <laughs> I do love gambling, but we, I think we hang out at blackjack tables with slightly different stakes. Okay, so. okay. <laughs> Jordan and Barkley, they were actually legendary for how much they'd bet. And Tiger, he was he was a high roller. He had a million-dollar credit line at MGM Casino in Las Vegas. That's higher than your line. Uh, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but these three guys, they, they just loved hanging out. And if they were hanging out, it was probably some super exclusive VIP backroom in Las Vegas. Speaking of Vegas, Conan O'Brien took his show there in 2014 and had Charles Barkley on as a guest. And Barkley offered some dirt on his pals. <laughs> okay, uh, you're pretty good at telling the, uh, the absolute truth. Who are the cheapest guys that you've hung out with that we would oh, know? Well, there's nobody cheaper than Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan. <laughs> you know, Michael Jordan's pretty... Mike, Michael Jordan is, is cheap? Oh, yeah, he's cheap. How, like, oh, really? Yeah. Like how cheap? We were talking super cheap here? Like You, you know what, like... You know, I always give homeless people money. Yeah. And he'll always slap my hand. He'll say, if, if they can ask you for spare change, they can say, welcome to McDonald's. Can I help you, please? Wow. Seriously. Oh, yeah. Michael Jordan says that. <laughs> hey, man. I like it more than Michael Jordan's a slapper. Yeah. <laughs> That's what yeah. he's into. Okay. So those, those guys are cheap. Tiger's pretty cheap, too. Tiger Woods is oh, cheap. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's cheap. Those are, you've named two of the richest guys in, of all time. I Tiger think, Woods is I, cheap? I think that's why they're rich. They don't tip. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a fine line. That's a very fine line. Yeah. That's their secret, right? That's their secret to being rich. They don't tip. Wow. I mean, but for real, Tiger is modeling himself after Michael <laughs> Jordan, even in how he tips. Yeah, totally. And... Yeah, and let's remember, Tiger is hanging out with a couple of guys who are well over a decade older than him and basically retired. Right, but Tiger became a superstar at 21, and by this point in his mid-20s, he still has years ahead of him in his pro career. Yeah, he did. In theory, at least. It was almost a foregone conclusion that he would keep winning at this pace. While dealing with all the media attention and keeping up with MJ and Sir Charles. But to stay at this level of greatness, Tiger, he needed other influences around him, too. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. 
Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home, and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a Realtor can make understanding that world easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. That's the kind of help we can provide. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. It was at dusk. I didn't set it up this way, but I walk in and he's by himself. I, I We started talking in the full flush of afternoon, but then it got, you know, then the, the sun started going down and no one turned on a light. Scott Price is talking about interviewing Earl Woods for his 2000 Sports Illustrated cover story on Tiger. He went to Carlsbad, California to visit Earl. And they sat at twilight in the hotel lobby and chatted while Earl smoked cigarette after cigarette. He had already had three open-heart surgeries, and he was not changing his diet. And, um, you know, he had a tendency to doze off, um, uh, not necessarily during our talk, but in general. He just, you know, I knew that about him. And his breath was short, but he was still smoking Merritt's, you know, his cigarette. Earl had always been at Tiger's side on the golf course, during trophy ceremonies, during interviews. But now, as Tiger's career was exploding, Earl's health was failing. In addition to the smoking and the heart surgeries, Earl also had prostate cancer. And he wasn't at Tiger's side anymore, at least not publicly. There was a real feeling of release, of letting go. I mean, he kept saying, I I raised Tiger to do this. I, I raised Tiger to, to cut me loose. He, he knew of his own obsolescence. Wow, that's pretty intense. Yeah, Scott says Earl was really blunt about his own death. But he wasn't worried about Tiger because by now, Tiger was very much in control of his own life. There were a number of people who had been shed from the original camp. Um, uh, of Tiger's uh, when he first broke onto the scene, uh, the one essentially assembled by his father. And there was a real feeling that I picked up very quickly from from observers of Tiger that that he had cleaned house essentially, as is to be expected. He, he had now become a man and he was taking hold of his career in the way that Earl made very clear to me that he had trained Tiger to do, that Tiger was trained to to make his father obsolete, to make the superstructure that his father had put around him, built around him, obsolete, and to replace with his own crew. And so that that seemed very organic to me and very understandable for a young athlete coming into his own. 
And Scott didn't just talk to Earl for more insight into Tiger. He also talked to Tiger's other parent, Coltita Woods. Right. He was really able to reveal how Tita's influence came out as Tiger was dominating the golf world. Scott says his time with Tita was the most unexpected and illuminating moment of his reporting. You know, so I think I believe I just knelt next to her. She was sitting in a like a sort of it was it was like an easy chair that somehow had been was was placed outside the locker room and and uh she was sort of holding court and people were coming by and saying hello and I just sort of knelt there and and talked to her for like 20 minutes. She was great. Tita told Scott that unlike Earl, she had not trained Tiger to make her obsolete. She's like, well, if the old man's going to do that, you know, that's fine. But I want to see my son's future. I want to see my grandkids. Dad wants to check out first. That's fine with me, but I want to stay longer. (laughs) Wow. Tita, she's like the opposite of Earl. Yeah, totally. Earl, he was a pontificator, always in the spotlight. Everybody knew about Earl and Tiger. And to me, one of the big revelations was that, you know, she called Earl, you know, the big softy, you know, he, he's a softy. I'm, I'm, I'm the, essentially she was like, I'm the killer. If I say no and you don't listen, uh, we're done. That was fascinating because it inverted everything, every impression I had had. I mean, Earl was sort of, you know, the tough ex-military guy who had created this sort of swirl of, of soft ambitions as a uh, tiger, as a social warrior. And meanwhile, uh, Tita was teaching Tiger how to sharpen his knives, you know, and and I just found that um, just a wonderful paradoxical flip in expectation in terms of what you what you think. And and you know, moms are always central. <laughs> it doesn't matter what anybody says. I'm a dad, but let's face it, the mom is always central. And so, as a reporter, you know, one of my first calls is always to mom. I love it. Mama knows best. (laughs) (laughs) She really does. (laughs) Scott wrote in his story about how Tita told him that she was the law in the house when Tiger was growing up. How she told Tiger, quote, you will never, never ruin my reputation as a parent because, and okay, this is, this is a little dark. She says, quote, I will beat you. Whoa. Yeah. And it doesn't stop there. Here's Tita talking on a documentary from 2004. The killer instinct, either you have it or you don't. When he was young and I see that he got the killer instinct, I encourage him. I try to tell him this, uh, when you are hit, you got to finish it off. Tiger was a killer. Like Scott said, he was a ruthless athlete. It wasn't just his golf swing. It was his focus. And that instinct came from Tita. Yeah, and it's important because when people talk about the greatness of Tiger, it's the mental part of his game. That was his greatest strength. As anyone who's played a round of golf would tell you, I mean, golf is so mental. And Tiger, in big moments, he he never choked. And that's really incredible. And Scott says, necessary. You know, I was constantly asked by, by civilians, not journalists, oh, you know, fans, whoever it was, is he a nice guy? Is he nice? A good guy? And I'm like, no, <laughs> no. And I don't mean this, like, but, but, but. No, they're not nice guys. That's not their job. Athletes in their prime, athletes at, at, at that level, 
their job is to beat up somebody in public, either in boxing or or or, or, or basketball or football. They're they're making someone else lose. They're making someone else look bad. And there's a certain joy that comes in that. Every single great athlete I've ever known has an element of asshole to them. They're mean. They have to be. There's a certain selfishness to to achieving at that level. There's a certain meanness that it takes to to dominate other men and uh, and other teams at that level. You've said that I love to compete. That's the essence of of who I am. What did you mean by that? I love to compete. Whatever it is, we could be. You and I could be playing cards right now and just want to kick your butt. You'd want to win. Uh, no, I want to kick your butt. There's a difference. <laughs> <laughs> This is a segment from 60 Minutes in March of 2006. Ed Bradley is interviewing Tiger, who at this point has won four more major championships since his 2001 Tiger Slam, bringing his total to 10. So when you go out, do you expect to dominate? Do you expect to win? Expect to win, yes. Always. Every time? Yes. It's just a belief you have to have. I mean, as an athlete, as a competitor, you have to have that belief in yourself. You know, the reporter here, Ed Bradley, he's a legend. He was one of the first prominent black journalists on network television. And he was a brilliant interviewer. I mean, he got Muhammad Ali to talk about his battle with Parkinson's. He talked to Timothy McVeigh in prison. And he sat down with Michael Jackson leading up to his trial for alleged child molestation. And for this story, Ed Bradley had a few interviews with Tiger. They hung out at the golf course, and Bradley even visited Tiger's Education Foundation in California. Because this is so near and dear to my heart. This is more important than, than any golf shot that I could possibly hit. But wait a minute. You, you make a living playing golf. I mean, golf gives you the, the, the wherewithal to do all of this. Golf's the platform. Um, Golf is what I do. It's not definitely not who I am. So, Albert, in the book Tiger Woods by Armin Katayan and Jeff Benedict, they write that Ed Bradley and his producer had been trying to book Tiger for years and that they only got him for the segment because Tiger was looking for press on this foundation. Yeah, and that really does come across. It's like all Tiger seems to be interested in talking about. He's definitely laying down the Tiger rules here, and he's not giving an inch to Bradley. What's the name of your boat? Privacy. (laughs) Was that your idea? Yeah, it was. Tiger says he wants to be known for his work with kids, but most of us know him best for his work on the golf course. I love to play golf, and that's my arena. And you can characterize and describe it however you want. But I have a love and a passion for getting that ball in the hole and beating those guys. And if we were to play ping pong, your, your goal would be to? I'd beat you. <laughs> <laughs> and if you didn't, you'd really be? We'd, we'd do it again. <laughs> in that same book, the authors talk about how Bradley wanted to push Tiger on some of the things he'd said about race. But Tiger didn't have anything to say. And after the interview was over and Bradley was headed to the airport, Bradley said to his producer, we didn't lay a glove on him. Bradley felt like he had failed. Yeah, it was like Tiger and Ed Bradley went head to head. Bradley had lost and Tiger had won. Exactly. 
Albert, in our first episode, we talked about the question Gary Smith posed in his 1996 sportsman story. Who is going to win, the man or the machine? Will Tiger win, or will he be crushed by the machine of fame and celebrity? And it just seems to me like Tiger, he's winning everything. Yeah, as he kept winning titles, as he was speeding toward Jack Nicklaus's record and became as big of a star as Michael Jordan, Tiger, he he seemed invincible. Especially when it came to his privacy. Scott Price and Ed Bradley, they were trying to get to know the real Tiger. And the bigger he got, the more the world wanted to know the real Tiger, too. Next time on All American. Reportedly, Tiger Woods has taken the plunge. Yes, it was reported that he was scuba diving, but he's also apparently gotten married. Tiger, in his news conferences, was on autopilot. And then if he was asked about his children, his eyes would light up. People say he went off the rails after his dad died. Maybe. All American is a production from Stitcher. This episode was written, reported, and produced by Albert Chen and me, Jordan Bell. Gianna Palmer is our story editor. Consulting production by Stephanie Kariuki and Abigail Keel. Our executive producers are Daisy Rosario and Chris Bannon. Casey Holford is our mix engineer who also wrote our fantastic theme music. Nick Dooley cuts our tape like a pro. Special thanks to Peter Clowney and to our fact checker, Kelvin Bias, with the best name possible for a fact checker. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. And send us your feedback and thoughts to allamericanatstitcher.com. Got ideas for what athlete we should cover next? Send us a note. He's hanging out with a couple of guys who are, they're 15 years older than him. Mm. And MJ and Barkley, wow. they're, Sorry, they're basic. That, how old is Michael Jordan now? He's like almost 60? Yeah, he'll, he's like in his mid-50s. Gonna look it up. Probably. Yeah, honestly. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, these guys are pretty old. 1962, 1963. When's his birthday? Uh, 63, February yeah. 63. I knew it. I knew he was a... Stitcher. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.